Hello, and welcome to Cauldron Cakes and Wine, a nerdy book club podcast. Today we're going to be talking about A Court of Frost and Starlight. Just a reminder that this podcast is marked explicit, meaning we sometimes swear and talk about sensitive subjects. Be sure to check the show description for any content warnings. Also, make sure you follow us on social media. You can also find all of our social media linked on our website, www.cauldroncakesandwine. That's the easiest way to find all of our social media and more information about the podcast. Also, just a warning, there are spoilers ahead. Okay, so this week, as I mentioned, we are going to be talking about A Court of Frost and Starlight. So this book is structured a little bit differently than the other books. Um, Each chapter is from a different perspective. So I'm going to go chapter by chapter and I'm going to say whose perspective it's from and then talk a little bit about it as much as I can, because sometimes I don't always have that much to say about it, which is fine. Chapter one, Vera. We start off from Farah's perspective, and it is winter in Valaris, and we find out that it has been a year since the war. Um, <laughs> like We're still using the term shredded to ribbons, and it's just too much for me. I really enjoy this book series, but that is too much for me. Everyone is preparing for the winter solstice, and we find out that Lucian has visited the spring court, and he came back with bruises, and I just, I really want to know what happens there, and we get a little bit of a glimpse of what's going on with Tamlin later, and I found it, well, I'll talk about it more then. We find out that Lucian and Elaine don't interact at all, and I just want more of them, and I want more of Nesta, but we'll talk more about that later. Farah seems to be making herself really busy, like trying to rebuild the city and helping out with like stuff like that. Um, but they send her home for the holidays and she doesn't exactly know what to do with herself. And I think that makes sense. Um, I think it's a pretty common trauma response. I know it all too well. <laughs> have to always be busy to like try to avoid like thinking about things you don't want to think about. Chapter two, Resand. We find out that some of the Illyrian soldiers are upset. They're like resentful about certain things that happened in the war. And we find out that Nesta and Cassian haven't been interacting at all either. And Nesta isn't really interacting with anyone. She just lives in this like apartment in a not very nice area. And that's it. <laughs> um, so... The solstice will be Feyre's 21st birthday and Rizand is sort of thinking about the age gap, which once I actually like stopped and thought about it, it's a little bit disturbing. Like I get that she's a high fey now and they're equal in power and everything else, but I never really stopped to think about the fact that he's like 500 years older than her. And yeah, it's a little bit uncomfortable. I, I have a thing with like, age gaps word I think it's just like inappropriate um almost always I think obviously once you start to get over a certain age the age gap means less and less but I think especially under the age of like 35 an age gap is just inappropriate the older person is Anyways, I'm not going to keep going on about this. People seem to have like a really like volatile reaction to this kind of a thing. So um, yeah, if you disagree, just disagree with me. I don't care. This is how I feel and that's where I stand on it. And you're never going to change my perspective on it. 
Um, not on this. On other things, maybe. But not on this. You won't change my perspective. I don't think it's ever appropriate. <laughs> to be clear, I'm talking about large age gaps. I'm not talking about like a year or two. Okay, chapter three, Cassian. Cassian's like flying around the mountains and shit. And um, he's going to the spot where they do like this blood rite. I honestly didn't find this that interesting. Chapter four, Farah. I'm not going to lie. I was hoping that we would get a few other perspectives before going back to her, but that's okay because obviously I like her perspective. I was just excited to see if we got more of the others. Feyre's doing a bit of shopping before the celebration. She has to do some deep breathing to get over what seems like a flashback or some anxiety, and I appreciate that they kind of weave this in um throughout the book because it kind of addresses what trauma is like and I also appreciate that they don't dwell on it too too much like it's there it's the backbone of the entire book but it's also not something that is like really dwelled upon over and over and over again a woman stops Farah and they say they all remember that Farah fought for them and then she invites her to this meeting with some local artists it's nice to see Farah engaged in something that's like her interest, which is painting. Chapter five, Farah. We find out that um, as a fae, Farah only gets her period twice a year, but that it's worse when she than when she was a human. And like, I would never imagine like a period worse than like what we already get. That sounds truly horrifying. Um, when I stopped taking the depot shot, I had a few months where they were the worst periods of my entire life. There was a few times where I was like laying on the floor and I thought I was going to pass out from the pain. And like the depot shot like fucked me up. I gained like a lot of weight and I've never really been able to lose it. And it made me just cry for like a couple days after getting it. Like legit like crying for no reason. <laughs> then... Um, I got, like, really horrible periods accompanied by migraines when I went off of it. Um, yeah. Hormonal birth control, when it's not right for you, is a total nightmare. <laughs> I suppose that's, like, most medications. Because, like, even with, like, mental health medications, if you don't find the right medication, it's a total fucking trip. Like, fuck. <laughs> We find out that Resand holds a bit of a grudge against Lucian and Nesta. Lucian for how he treated Farah after Under the Mountain, which I honestly think that's fair. If my partner had been in an abusive relationship and one of her friends sat by and like saw it and like didn't do anything, kind of watched it and allowed it, I would find it really hard to be their friend. I can understand if they knew and didn't really do anything because that's kind of what it's like having a friend who's in an abusive relationship. Like, there's not a whole lot that you can do. You know, you just sort of have to be there and support them and encourage them to leave. You can't force them to leave and there's nothing that you can really do because most of that stuff happens behind closed doors. But I think the thing with Lucian and Farah is that it wasn't behind closed doors. You know, Lucian was there 
and participated in allowing it to happen. And I think that is why it would be pretty hard to forgive him. He also doesn't want to speak with Nesta because of how Farah and Nesta grew up for letting Farah go into the forest and hunt when she was young. And I don't know if this is fully fair, to be totally honest. If Farah is able to like not hold this against her sisters, then he shouldn't. It's also like really unfair of him to not be okay with Nesta but then be okay with Elaine and he kind of says that the reason why this is the case is because Nesta's Illyrian and Elaine is just Elaine like he's basically implying Nesta is strong and Elaine isn't but just because Nesta's strong and fiery and was able to do what she was able to do in that battle doesn't mean that when she was younger she was able to go and hunt You didn't know her then. You know Nesta now. And I mean, that's the whole point of like character development in a character arc is that you start off one place and end up another. So I just don't think it's really fair. That's not really how it works in life. Sorry, Reese. I can't believe that these like full grown adults just like pack into this townhouse and like all just spend their time there. Like it's a little weird. Don't you want to live on your own and then just like visit each other like normal people do? I don't know. It's like been 500 years. Like as romantic as Farah and Rhysand's relationship is sometimes, it's also a little bit unhealthy. Like Reese tells Farah that he loves her more than life itself, which is a pretty intense thing to tell someone. If someone told me that, I would probably run. At least they both have hobbies, jobs, and like friends. So it's not really just like they're like completely isolated within this relationship, but I just think it's a little bit, it's a little much sometimes. I also think that the death pact that they made at the end of the last book um it's a little bit messed up and the more and more that I think about it the the worse it gets in my head like you're gonna have kids and so what if one of you unfortunately passed away while your kids were still young and then they have no parents anymore (laughs) they just lose both of their parents at the same time what if one of you is killed and I don't know, it's just fucking weird because it's like some, like, people's loved ones pass away all the time. It's going to happen to every single one of us and every single person that we love and we all still have a life afterwards and you have to move on. That's how grief works. And I I guess this is where I don't really get the fantasy novel, like, mating bond, destined love shit. Chapter six, Morgan. They're all out of the Court of Nightmares for a meeting and... Moore has to be in the same room with her father, um, which is horrible because of her past. And honestly, I'm not going to go to talk about this because I think that it's really disturbing and I really don't care to recap it or talk about it. I love Moore as a character and her past is a huge part of her character, but I just don't want to talk about it. And... If you're used to listening to this podcast 
and you've listened to it for a while, you'll know there's not a lot that I won't talk about, but this, this is one of them. Chapter 7, Resand. We find out that Tamlin's border is not being patrolled um, by any soldiers, which is a plot point that will come more into effect later. Resand describes himself as brooding by the fire, and I was like, yes, brooding. That is the perfect way to describe Reese. He is brooding. <laughs> so Reese decides that he's going to go to the spring court, and it's going to be pleasant as always. <laughs> Chapter 8, Cassian. Um, so we learn that the Illyrian soldiers don't exactly respect women a whole lot. Cassian meets a woman um, at their camp and he sees that her wings have been clipped and I just found that really, really fucking disturbing. Chapter 9, Feyre. So basically Feyre goes to this painting group and then we go into chapter 10, which is from her perspective as well. And she paints herself. She paints like what she saw in the mirror of beginnings and endings. Chapter 11, Resand. We follow Reese to the spring court and we find out that everything is unkept and the doors have huge claw marks in them. And Tamlin's pretty unkept as well. Inside the house, many of the rooms are destroyed. Jeez. It's pretty depressing, but I also don't feel bad for him. I just don't. I don't feel bad for somebody who is upset because they verbally and physically abused somebody else and now they're having a temper tantrum about the consequences of their actions. I just don't feel bad for him. Resand offers to send people to watch the border to protect the humans, but Tamlin is kind of just refusing. Chapter 12, Feyre. Everyone's in the townhouse for solstice except Nesta. And Elaine tells her that um, Nesta said she doesn't want to come to the solstice celebration and that she doesn't want to see any of them ever again. (sighs) Nesta's going through it. Yeah. Nesta is going through it. They are eating dinner, which is pretty entertaining. Amarin says that she's having trouble now that she's in fey form. And they're all laughing because she doesn't know how to go pee, which is pretty funny. And yeah, it's pretty good banter. (laughs) So Farrah goes to look for Nesta. She's not in her house, but she's in a really gross tavern called the Wolf's Den. Chapter 13, Farrah. She has a very unpleasant interaction with her sister. And basically, Feyre bribes Nesta to come to Solstice Eve by saying she'd pay her rent. Chapter 14, Resand. I really love how they celebrate the solstice like it's Christmas. Like, they have, like, a big dinner and they have, like, a gift exchange. Like, I want to celebrate the solstice instead of Christmas. That's so much cooler. (laughs) I would prefer to celebrate that. Moore and Resand are talking and Reese tells her that he needs her to go to other territories to work out like treaties and stuff. I really like Moore. I wish we got a book just about her. Chapter 15, Farah. Neither Farah or Reese seem to know what to get each other as presents. 
Ferris sees a tapestry that's called The Void. And it was created by a woman who had lost her husband in the war. And she says that the fabric is like void of light. It's void of everything. It absorbs the light and it's um, made after the feeling of losing her husband. And there's silver thread in it that she calls hope. And I thought that this was really beautiful. And Farah asks the woman how she keeps creating with all that she's lost. And the woman says she has to create or it wasn't all worth it. Or she will like crumple up and never leave her bed. And she says that if she'd stopped, then there would be no hope. Like, ugh, it's so good. It's, it's really, um, I felt really emotional reading it. Like, damn, why do these books always get me? <laughs> Fucking fantasy novels, eh? Um, Feyre ends up buying the tapestry, um, and she decides that she wants to start a painting studio for people because it would help them through difficult things. And it's sort of like art therapy. And I've always loved art therapy. I've only done it a few times, but I found that I can't communicate, or sorry, I can communicate through image and color in a way that I never can speaking. Obviously, I like to speak. I have a fucking podcast. I communicate a lot through it. But I just, I think that there is... um this you know core level of like like intimacy to the thoughts that I can't get to through words sometimes and I can get there through image (laughs) anyways okay being very dramatic about this but no I really do feel that way I do I think that there is something so therapeutic about art Um, I also think there's something really therapeutic about music. And um, when I did my placement in school with adults with acquired brain injuries, I ended up listening to this entire podcast about a woman with with, um, a brain injury. And she was like an opera singer. Um, and she played piano and so she couldn't speak she was like completely aphasic and then one day she sat down at the piano and she could play full things from memory and so they ended up adapting her therapies to involve uh, music therapy and they used music to teach her to speak again and I thought that that was so interesting how powerful music is in that way. And it's true because you see um, when I was doing that placement, we would bring in um, a musician and they would do a sing-along. And some of these people um, have difficulty remembering like everything, basically. Because when you get a brain injury, obviously like you lose parts of your memory and stuff. And you have a hard time with short-term and long-term memory. Um but they could remember words to like every one of their favorite songs. And so it's just so powerful. Anyways, <laughs> totally off topic. Uh, chapter 16, Resand. Basically, it's Solstice Eve and they're all together and they're starting to celebrate the solstice. Chapter 17, Feyre. Feyre does the math and she realizes that she can afford an art studio and she thinks that it is too lavish to buy 
even if it's just not for only her. And I get because she grew up with nothing that she would feel this way. But spaces like this are so important and so valid to spend money on. And I mean, even just what I was just talking about before, having space for, you know, therapeutic spaces um, in not only just like the traditional sense of therapy is so important. And I mean, I went to school for rec therapy and I think I could talk about this for hours and hours and hours, but like the act of doing things that you love and are passionate about is therapeutic in nature. And I think that it's really interesting that this book like taps into that because it's exactly what we learn in school and rec therapy. That's exactly what a rec therapist would do. They would meet someone like Farah and they would see that she has, you know, this trauma and they would see that she enjoys painting and they would get her involved on a, you know, in, in some sort of a painting program to help her and it helps you heal and, it, you know, it's proven that if you are doing things that you love, you are going to have a higher quality of life and it is going to help you get better whether it is a mental or physical thing like it, I think that we spend so much time um at, with in terms of our childhood thinking that we have to do things and be the best at it you know like we teach our children that you know you need to be on the the competitive soccer team not the rec one you need to be the best artist and you need to put your art in art competitions. You need to go to dance competitions and gymnastics competitions. And we need to be good at everything that we do. And I think that a lot of us lose the things that we are interested in as we get older as a side effect of that, because it's like, oh, okay, well, I didn't end up being a professional artist. I didn't end up being a professional gymnast or a soccer player or a skateboarder. But when you go back to those things, when you realize like, I don't need to be the best, that's where you start to get such a pure joy out of everything that you do. You know, it's hard for adults to have hobbies because we work and we're tired. But if you carve out some time for your hobbies, you are going to be so much happier and so much healthier. Okay, I'm going to stop now because <laughs> I, I'm way off topic. Not really. Like, this is on topic. It's just I've ranted about it for quite a while, and I'm sure you already understand exactly what I'm trying to say. <laughs> okay, chapter 18, Farah. Farah has a bit of, like, a prickly interaction with Lucian, and she tells him that, like, he can come and live in Valaris. Basically, Farah is trying to make everything right for, like, Lucian and Elaine and Cassian and Nesta, and... I understand why she's doing this, but she needs to back off a little bit because these people will come to their own conclusions eventually. And the same way she has to work things out, they have to work things out. And more ends up telling her that later. Farah has all of these conversations with Resand through the mating bond. And like, I can't help but feel like this would be really confusing. Like stuff is happening around her and she's talking to Lucian in this instance and randomly she just starts talking to Reese through the bond and I think that that's so confusing I would be annoyed I'd be like please leave me alone <laughs> like talking to someone <laughs> apparently Reese and Az and Cassian 
have a snowball fight every solstice since they were kids. And I think that's really cute. Chapter 19. Um, so they all open their presents and Nesta shows up. Chapter 20. Feyre. The gift exchange is really light and it's fun. And Nesta ends up leaving and Feyre gives her her money for her rent. Chapter 21. Cassian. Cassian rushes outside and follows Nesta and he confronts her, um, but they end up just, he doesn't know what to say, so he ends up walking her home and she wouldn't accept a present that he got her and they have a really, yeah, it's not a good interaction. As I said before, Nesta is clearly going through it, um, We get to chapter 22, it's Nesta's perspective, and she basically describes feeling nothing, and that's the worst. Like, when days are just floating by and you feel nothing to avoid feeling anything at all. Or worse than that, when you're in such a state of shock from from something that you you don't feel it. It makes you feel like you're... I mean, you're kind of just dissociated from everything, but it it really makes me, when I'm in that state, feel like I'm a sociopath or something. Like, why am I not feeling this? And I know now that when you deal with grief and trauma, shock is a very common thing. And it's okay. It's normal if you've ever felt that way or feel that way in the future. Like, just know it's normal. Chapter 23, Feyre. Reese takes Feyre to the cottage and we find out that all of the dresses Reese has given Feyre throughout the book were made by his mother. His mom had made them a long time ago when she was alive for whoever Reese was going to marry. Feyre basically decides that she wants to have children. Um, and then, of course, they have sex. <laughs> I was like wondering when this was going to happen. I feel like they put it off quite a while in this book. I was like... 23 chapters and they haven't had sex yet? (laughs) I skipped through most of it, to be honest. It was a lot. (laughs) Reese brings Feyre to an estate that he has bought for them to live in. And he tells her that he can build, she can build a house there. There's going to be builders coming and that she gets to basically design this house. And then he's like, we'll make rooms for each of my friends and your family. And I was just like, don't these people ever want some fucking space to themselves? Like, they're talking about, like, having a family and having a kid and they're going to make their house designed around all of their friends and family. Like, fuck. Ah. (laughs) I'm kidding. It's very nice. If you have that amount of space, like, you're basically building a giant mansion like sure have a like I don't know like there's a certain point where like what are all of these rooms for I get it like (laughs) it would be when it actually would be kind of cool as long as I didn't live there all the time you know like it was to be like oh okay like here's the room for when this person comes to visit you know and then they can come and stay for a while but not forever (laughs) um but, like, other than that, this is, like, I feel like a millennial's, like, dream. Like, to just be gifted a piece of land to build your dream house on. Gosh, like, fuck, a girl can dream. <laughs> uh, chapter 24, Resand. 
Reese goes to the spring court and he finds a giant elk dead in the middle of a room that Tamlin is just like chilling in. <laughs> and he tells Tamlin that um, he's just going to send warriors to his border. And Tamlin asks Reese if Pharaoh will ever forgive him. <sighs> no. I mean, yeah, like she will eventually. Let's be real. But from experience, even if she does forgive him, it would have more to do with her not carrying that anger around anymore. It is more for her own benefit to forgive him. Go rot in your gross mansion, you fucking gross man-child. Chapter 25, Morgan. Moore is riding some horses because obviously she rides horses because she's the coolest. Um, and she decides that she's going to take Reese's offer to travel around. Um, chapter 26, Farah. Farah went to the family that owns a space that she wanted to make into an art studio. And the family gives her this space as a gift. And they won't accept the money. And... I think that Farah underestimates how much the people around her appreciate what she's done for them. And I think that it makes sense that given the fact that she has so much money, she could afford basically anything. It feels uncomfortable for her to accept these kinds of gifts. But when you give somebody something that they can never repay you for... And then they give you something and it makes you uncomfortable. You kind of have to suck up that uncomfortability because you're giving them dignity. You're giving them the ability to give you something in return. We drove my grandparents. Uh, my grandmother fell and she was in the hospital. And so my, my partner drove my grandfather back and forth from the hospital every day for a little while last winter and my opa would give us money particularly brownie money and he would cook food and send it home with brownie and it kind of made us a little bit uncomfortable we'd be like we don't need food like we don't need money like it's okay don't 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 and then I kind of came to like a realization that this was like a it was giving him dignity to do that because he could never repay Brownie, who was not even a member officially of our family, for driving him to see his wife every day. You know, like that was a really big thing for him and it was something he could never truly repay Brownie for. So we like had to accept that. Chapter 27, Resand. There are basically some men that are training the Illyrian women. And I wonder if this is going to be a plot line. Um, you know, the Illyrians being sort of sexist and rebelling. If it's going to be followed into the next book. Because I don't see much of a point of this plot line if it won't be something to do with that. Chapter 28, Feyre. Farah and another woman work together um, in the space that Pharaoh was gifted. 
And so Feyre basically ends up, they clean up the space and they end up teaching children to paint there. And it's a nice way for the book to end with Feyre kind of having a purpose and getting to do something that she's passionate about. She describes that she's excited to wake up every day and to see Reese and to work. And I think that that's a lovely ending for the book. Okay, so final thoughts. Um, I did a job interview at a bookstore, which I'm probably not going to end up taking that book, but I, or book, I'm probably not going to end up taking that job. But after I was done, I was looking at the books naturally and I came across the newest Akitar book and uh, like the one that I don't have. And I was reading the dust jacket and it, it said that it's about Nesta and Cassian, and I was so excited. I didn't buy the book, though. I'm going to stick to my release schedule that I have now, and here's why. Um, it's not because I don't desperately want to read it, because you know I want more Nesta. Um, I do. I do. I want more Nesta. The issue is that um, it only exists as a hard copy. I have the... Um, I, I own the paperback ones because I have a physical reaction to how much I hate the current hardcovers of these books. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry if you like them, but I do not. And I'm not going to spend $40 on a hardcover book that I think is so ugly. <laughs> I also just think that it will look stupid next to the other copies that I have. I don't really like the bright colored, soft covered ones, but out of the two options, I liked them better, marginally better. <laughs> so, ugh, I need them to release a soft cover of this book. Like, ugh. let me tell you though, that Crescent City cover is beautiful and it was so hard not to buy it. I ended up buying a Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Um, we're lucky I made it out of there only buying one book fuck <laughs> okay now that I have read the books and I have been online reading things about the books let me tell you Tamlin stands are the most annoying people I can't I have read a bunch of people being like Tamlin was fine I don't get why he abruptly became bad. He deserved better. Like, did we read the same book? I almost didn't keep reading the first book. I believe I even said that. Like, I'm pretty sure I was like, I don't know if I can keep reading this series if it's about Farah and Tamlin. It was there. You just didn't notice it. Or you don't know what red flags are. Sorry. Which could be fair. Like, that's fair. There are books that I read when I was younger and didn't really know what red flags were that I didn't understand why people didn't like a character and now I've gone back and I'm like, oh, no, no, thank you. Like, here's an example, Dumbledore. We all didn't get that Dumbledore was fucked up because we were young and we didn't understand that some of the things he was doing were messed up. There you go, perfect example. It's just like, even... Just the fact that under the mountain, Tamlin had a moment, 
alone with Feyre, and he chose to try and fuck her instead of helping her in any way, and that alone is horrifying. Okay, so I really loved this book. I loved the solstice celebration. I loved how cozy it was. It was really nice to just get a little look into the this like family and friend group. Um, it wraps everything up really nicely. In some ways, it's a little bit mundane, but I just thought that it was perfect. I really did. Um, I really enjoyed the series in the end, and I'm really glad that I read it. So I think I would read it again one day. Yeah, I'm glad I made it past the first book. Other than that, um, the next book I'm going to wait and read later. Yeah, so I'm going to wait and read that, like I said in the last episode. Um, I'm going to read The Dividenders right now. That's what I'm going to read next. Um, And then I have a couple more books that I want to get through, and then I will eventually read the next book in this series. So keep an eye out for that. And yeah, sorry this episode's a little bit shorter than normal. Um, This was a really short book, and I think I've done a pretty good job of, you know, talking about quite a short book for as long as I have. So yeah, Um, be sure to go to our website, www.cauldroncakesandwine.com, and you can check out all of our social medias linked there. Please go and follow us. The best place to follow us is on Instagram if you want updates and um, yeah, basically everything is there. So that's all I've got for you guys. I hope that you guys have a really wonderful day. Bye.